Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Now, today I want to pick on a conversation that I have had in a few sermons, but I had never had the opportunity to deeply explore and teach because, again, it's the will of God for us to fully comprehend some of these things, even though they are mentioned. The apostolic, by office and calling, is a planting thing. It's a planting experience. You understand, it's a planting office. And so because it's a planting office, you know, like I said, the integrity of the seed planted is not questioned. Then it goes in the intellect of the ground to conceive that seed. The science that goes around what the ground must do to interpret the seed that has been planted therein and then work out all the nutrients and bacteria that this plant needs to grow. That's the state of your heart. But some seeds are hard for some grounds, you see? So sometimes we find ourselves that we, in planting, whatever seed has to be planted in the Word, we find that sometimes also we must help in improving the nature of the ground. You see, it's the mother of all parables. You remember the parable of a farmer who went about planting seeds and then some fell on the wayside and some fell on stony ground and some fell on good ground, etc. And you see, what comes out of that is the 30-fold, the 60-fold, the 100-fold. And then he tells you, if you do not understand this parable, how will you know all the rest of the parables? Because this is the wisdom that touches the improvement of this ground. You see, you cannot plant a bean in a stony ground. It will not grow. You agree? Yes. So some of us, even though we're teaching the word like we're teaching it, it's also important for us to understand how do we improve the ground in which the seed is planted. You see, so in part of my apostolic work again, as I'm supposed to give this word that is supposed to grow out and, you know, sprout out and carry its blood and fruit in your life, I also must examine the conversation of how ready your heart is to receive certain things. Even in scripture, there are various experiences where Jesus is speaking and then he says things like, let he which is able to take it, take it. You see, let he which is able to take it, take it. Matthew 19, 12. Because he knows not everything that you receive by scripture are you ready to take. You see? So there's also the question of how ready am I to receive all that God has prepared for me through Christ? How aligned am I enough to take whatever God has given me? Do you ask yourself those questions sometimes? Yes. Because I have been in ministry long enough to see people which God gave words they were not ready to receive, to whom God gave instructions they were not ready to receive. 
to whom God gave prophetic utterances that they were not ready to receive, to whom God gave exhortations and direction in life and they were not ready to receive. You see? So the readiness to receive is a very important thing. You see? Because some of us, we are not ready for what God has prepared for us. What you're struggling with is not that challenge in your house or that trouble in your marriage or your children. No, what you're really struggling with is your readiness to receive what God has prepared for you in Christ Jesus. So when you pray, pray, God, prepare my heart to be ready to receive your best. Your best in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this sermon is one of those things that prepares the heart. You see, this is one of those things that prepares the heart. And there's this common scripture I've always used, or we always use whenever we're teaching. Or if you have been in the gospel for a long time, some you other know, have shared, have quoted, you have indulged. Psalms 37 verses 4. The Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. Firstly, it's a beautiful thought that God intends to give you what your heart desires. He intends it. He wants to grow you to the place where you can receive what your heart desires. Then how to position yourself in the maturation of your heart to get to a point where whatever you desire, the Lord will give you. That's a fundamental question. You see, Jesus, I think in one portion of scripture, weeps. And he's weeping because he realizes that they have not known the ways to give them peace. They've not known the ways that would have given them the peace that they needed in God. And this is him weeping. It is a painful thing to the Father that some of us do not understand his ways. The Bible says, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, if thou had known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But he said, but they are hid from your eyes. He wept over a city. And whatever would make Jesus weep is a serious issue. It's not a light issue. You see, when you are not sensitive and awakened to the way of the Spirit, you might not understand the seriousness huh, of the things of God. But these are things Jesus sees and weeps over a city because they did not know the things that belong to their peace. The things that were supposed to give them rest. The things that were supposed to deliver them. The things that were supposed to translate and transform them. The things that were supposed to elevate and heal them. The things that were supposed to restore them. And so there's somebody looking for answers with God because you just don't know the way that should bring peace in your house. You don't know the way that should bring peace in your finances. 
You don't know the way that should bring peace in your career. You don't know the way that should bring peace in your body, health-wise or emotional. You're dealing with a weakness, a drinking issue, but you don't know the thing that should bring peace. So many things in your life are restless. You know, you see, certain things are unsettled. You see? And it's a very bad experience to be in an unsettled space in certain aspects of our lives because it is harder to receive where the waters are not settled. Sheep do not drink from moving waters. They want still waters. You see, he leadeth me besides still waters. You know, you cannot even receive well from God and concentrate as you ought in the things of God when peace is not around you. But he wept, Jesus. He said, I wish you knew how things work. And when I look through the eyes of this man, I can see many examples and experiences of how we even relate with God. I'll give you one example that touches what I'm going to share tonight. When you grow up and understand the heart of God and carry a full revelation of who He is, you will never go in the presence of God because you want Him to fulfill some need or desire in your life. What do I mean? That in our generation, because we have not defined the relationship that we are supposed to have with God, many of us find ourselves in spaces where we mostly seek when we are most in trouble. You know? So somebody's in a 40 or 30-day fast or 21-day fast or a three-day fast, and then you ask him, why are you fasting for three days? I say, ah, you know, pastor, <laughs> something is happening in my marriage. I realized I needed to take off some time and seek the Lord. Oh, so what if your marriage had not had that trouble? Were you going to set aside some time to seek God? The answer is no. Oh, I had a sponsor who was paying my university fees. And then this guy got a stroke and then they told me he can no longer pay and I was just in second year and I'm stuck. Okay, what do I do? Let me go on a prayer mountain. Let me go on this conference. Let me put aside some days to pray and consecrate myself so that this thing breaks. Ah, so what if the sponsor was paying that money? Were you going to set aside that time and seek God and pray? And the answer is... No. What if you had not lost your job? Were you going to seek God? No. What if you had not lost your marriage or that this guy was not becoming crazy or this woman had not become indifferent? Were you going to be in the presence? No. What if it wasn't for COVID? Some of you joined church because of COVID. Glory, hallelujah. You were not church goers. And then one of that random day, you sit at home, the man has told you you're locked up and then you're like, maybe let me just switch on this guy. Lo and behold, I touched something that you were going through. And he said, this is my pastor. This one right here. This is my guy. This is my guy. This is my personal person. <laughs> so you see where it came from? You came out of the need. It's something called the depravity of the human soul. The depravity of the human soul 
is spelled not in how much lost it is, but in the not knowing of how lost it is when it's most lost, that it could assume it's found at its most lost state. Who understands what I'm saying? A human soul is a very interesting experience. I'll give you a simple example to explain it. Do you know there are some people who are 100% sure they are right about something they are 120% wrong about? Have you seen it, especially when you're raising children, parents? And this kid knows, I remember, when we were younger, my boss then, I was driving one of her children somewhere. And then there's this little young boy, he was about seven. And then he told me, Uncle Grace, give me some and I drive also. You understand? Direct translation. But that's the English he spoke. Give me some and I drive also. Now, this six, seven-year-old fellow, in his head he was convinced he could drive a what? A car. So I told him, you don't even know how to drive. He says, I know. You press there. <laughs> you press there and there. Now, if I had gotten off the driver's seat and given this boy that car, believe me, confidently, the chap would have sat in and done exactly what he knows it, it should do. Because for him, he thinks that driving a car is the same as moving it. And we have many people who move cars in town. <laughs> That's the trouble we have in Uganda. We have people who move cars and we call them what? Drivers. They don't understand, and especially, unfortunately, in some of our parts like Uganda, we don't have what you call theory. You're not taught theory. The first day you went to a driving school, you start the engine, press the clutch. I tell now for you, the generation which is newer, you even learned in an automatic car. If you only know how to drive an automatic car, you don't know how to drive. <laughs> Believe me, ask us. Who could balance a car on a steep slope with only an accelerator and a crutch? Newer generation doesn't understand it. If you can't do that, you have not yet learned to drive. You just learned how to move, navigate through Kampala. <laughs> no, it's just a joke, but we call it bragging rights. It's like having a car that goes up to 240 kilometers per hour, but you'll never drive it up to 120. So you ask this person, why do you have a 240 kilometer speedometer on a car? Some people have cars of 320, 300 kilometers. That means it can rave there. The other day I was in Stockholm. And in Stockholm, Sweden, the rule within town, you're not supposed to, I think, drive above 30 kilometers, I think, per hour. You understand? Maybe out of town you can go a bit 50. If they find you driving 60 or 50, they can get you. So you imagine, this guy has an Audi. 280 kilometers per hour. But the rules of the town is 30. So then, you ask this guy, in your lifetime, you're never going to drive it even up to 140, or even 100. You might never even hit 80. Why do you keep such a car? Why would you buy that one? Simple, bragging rights. I believe in it. <laughs> I'm that kind who could just buy it to show it goes to 300. 
Yeah, but you'll never drive it. Yes, but it's 300. Yours is 180. Cash, whatever. Life is short. Ah. So back to my little boy who was convinced he could drive, but he could not. Okay, so the depravity of the human soul, why I usually use that statement? Sometimes we do not know, even when we do not know, and sometimes we are convinced that we know of most what we don't know. So the grace of God that should come to help you understand and really examine your true positioning with God, I believe that that's the beginning of consecration. True consecration begins when God really has to help you know exactly where you are. Because without that examination, you are inflated with a pride that is so deceptive. You see, when the Bible, for example, says, appoint not a novice, list out of pride, you fall into the condemnation of the devil. When the Bible says, do not appoint a novice, why would he say do not appoint a novice except that there were possibilities of appointing a novice? There were possibilities of appointing a novice. Because many a time when we're appointing people, we look so much on without and not within. And so because they are not ready for whatever they are appointed for, the Bible tells us they fall into some sort of condemnation. So back to what I was saying. I gave you that statement and I said, when you, or if you understood how God works, you no longer go in his presence because you have a need. Or you'd not be motivated or inspired because of your need or trouble. Because imagine you are married to somebody and the only time you relate with them is when you need something. And then when whatever they give you, and then you go back and disconnect. Whenever they need a favor, you know, I know marriages like that. Where this person will laugh around you because they want money. And the moment you give them the money, they dislodge, disconnect, and then they put some fall on you and, you know, accuse you for something. Until the next time they heal out of it and they need something and then they again come back to receive whatever they can receive and then they go back into their zone. Or you imagine you have a friend, like some of us, we have friends who only look for us when they are broke. When is high and flying, scaling up, nada. Your phone number, eh? even gathers dust in their phone. And then one day they remember they are broke. Krr, krr. <laughs> Apostle! <laughs> Apostle! Apostle! How many times have I called you? <laughs> Three times. How are you, my man? I miss you. Ah, man, you're hitting. Hey, what's up? <laughs> now, eh? Ha, I don't know how you'll help me. Then the lights go on. Yes. And they tell you their need. Then you what? You give. Man, eh, thanks. Eh? By the way, I need to come and check on you. How's your wife? And the kid? They're good? Katia, you tell her. I think it's next week. Next week. Next week, Tuesday, Thursday. I could have some time. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Praise God. So my wife can ask, who is that? I say, ah, nobody. <laughs> because I don't want to promise. That somebody's coming and they, then you wait one week, they're not calling, one month, they're not calling, four months, six months. Apostle! 
My guy! What up? But I'm coming this Tuesday. Ah, you see, now he remembers what he last promised. And then the need comes through. Now you know I'm stuck here. Send me some Kalito money. Yeah, but you know me, I'll get it back. It never comes back and it's okay. But you know, we also keep such friends. Can you imagine that that's a relationship many Christians have with Jesus? As hard as you may laugh at my friend, some of you, when you start thinking, what a friend we have in Jesus. That's exactly who you are. It's all your needs and griefs to bear. There is no relationship. <laughs> There's no relationship. Because that relationship is not built. You can never even know in the first place what you really need. Oh, that's a deep one. You can never know even exactly what you really need because when that relationship is not very aligned and clearly defined, you might need what you think you need, yet you actually do not need it. That's the danger of a lasting. A lasting is a need that carries no divine purpose. Anything that carries no purpose divinely is a lasting. And even the most well-meaning things can be a lasting. I know people who are seeking for the anointing, but they are lasting because they're not seeking this anointing to serve God. They're seeking this anointing to serve their own personal needs. There are people who are seeking husbands. Huh? And you can think, I want to get a husband so I can serve God better. But when they search your heart, you're not really seeking for a husband because you want to serve better. You're seeking for a husband because Irene and Rachel and, you know, all got married and these were your gangos you used to take wine with and now they're all gone and now you feel lonely in your house and then you want a husband. It's a lasting. Anything, if by truth examined, does not reconcile with divine purpose, is a lasting. Now imagine if a man in his lasting form can receive his heart's desire. That's chaos. That's chaos. Because that means you'll want another man's wife. Because it's your desire. You understand? You'll want another woman's husband. Because it's carnal desire. You'll want jobs you don't need. You'll want money you don't need. You'll seek for things that are out of divine order and purpose. Because you are a lasting. You are a lasting. And let me tell you some ladies. A man doesn't need to be married to belong to another woman. <laughs> Even if he's single, if he's not yours, he's not yours. Do you understand? Because now if you think anything you find and it's a man, you can marry it. No. The Bible did not say none shall lack a mate. The Bible says none shall lack her mate. Your own exists somewhere. You ask for your own. I believe that God has enough intelligence to align you to the right partner in life. I don't believe that every Christian woman is for you, brother. That as long as you get a girl from church, no, 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 that's people who don't know how God works. God is particular. God is particular. 
If you have never tested that spirit and mind and intellect with divine thought, then try dating randomly. You ask any woman who has dated randomly, but because they're all in church, you'll hate Fanero boys for nothing. Some of you boys, you'll hate my girls for nothing. No, she's not the problem. You're just not compatible. VHS cannot work with USB. Some people are floppy disks. Others are micro SD. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says <laughs> to the church. Are we together? I believe that God has ordained somebody for you. Like there is a perfect place to dwell in life. Like there is a perfect ministry. Like there is a perfect, you know, career. There's a perfection of God. We've read the Bible, how he speaks of his perfections. He perfects these things. There's a perfection of God. There's a perfect will. There's a perfect will. Are you following what I'm saying? So God has not called you to random Ideas. He has not called you to random careers. He has not called you to random things. He's a God of order. Because many random things come with a lot of disorder that are not necessary. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, that's why I say that now I'm having a conversation concerning your heart. He's telling the man first, can you drive your heart to a place of delighting yourself in me? Because if you delight in me, he says, I shall give thee the desires of your heart. Now, the lasting indifferent man will think you desire a car. So because you desire a car, now delight yourself in the Lord. Who has understood why that is wrong? If you haven't, let me explain it. Because now it means the reason why you're delighting yourself in the Lord is that you would get a car. Again, you got it wrong. This is putting the cart before the horse. You understand what I'm saying? So you're using the delighting as a means of fulfilling your need. Again, you're going back to where God doesn't want you. You see? It's like saying, do this to your partner, then she will give you the money. Or do this to your friend. Praise them. Oh, you look so beautiful. You look this and that and that. When you praise them, they'll give you the, the money you need. You see, again, you're using them. And some of you actually are using God. Your prayer is like one trying to con or woo him to perform. This is God. He knows you. When you're pretending worship, he knows. When you're pretending praying, he knows. When you're pretending humility, he knows you. He knows you. He knows you. You see what I'm saying? Again, it's the state of the heart. Now, let me help us understand this. There are two Hebrew words here in this one word called delight. There are two Hebrew words. So in some portion of scriptures, when you read delight, you might find either of one. Now, the one that I've read in Psalms 37 verse 4, okay, is the word aunag. And Aunag has two definitions. One definition is to make yourself soft, to soften yourself in the Lord. 
or to make yourself dainty. What does it mean to make yourself dainty? To adjust yourself to the test of God. Did you get it? To adjust yourself to the test of God. If I cook you very nice food, and then I give it to your neighbor, and your neighbor says, even though it's nice for this person, for him it's not nice. It's not agreeable to this person. You know, there are people who eat things that others can't eat. It's like I was dealing with somebody recently. How do you eat peanuts and posho? I don't understand. Like, how do you eat peanuts and posho? It's like eating jackfruit and bubble gum. Like, it's, it, how? How does jackfruit and bubble gum mix? Do you understand, saints? Do you get it? But there's somebody right now I've offended. I said, Apostle, do you know what Jeanette and Posho do to me? But it's the recognition that we all have different what? Tests. And I respect them. But for me, Jeanette and Posho, bubblegum and jackfruit, it's just the same thing. I don't get it. I don't get it. But there are people who what? Yeah. But you recognize that we all have different tests. There are things that are testable to you, but are not testable to God. They are testable with other gods, but not your God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you adjusting, you adjusting to God's test in how he wants to take and receive whatever is from man, which he doesn't actually need but it's part of principle and pattern to align us to the place where he must fulfill his purpose in us. Okay, that's delighting. That's one definition of delighting. Soften, what does that mean? That when it comes to the things of God, you're not hard-hearted. When it comes to the things of God, you're not hard-hearted. That you can complicate in many things, but not the things of God. Because if your heart is not that soft, how will you one day understand what you really need. Because when your heart is hardened, you carry the delusion of what you think you need, yet you actually don't need it. But when your heart is softened in the things of God, you are surrendered. You are adjusted to Him. And when you are adjusted to Him, it means that maybe you went in the presence of God and you wanted to live in Masaka. But as you continue to sit and soften and break, you get to a point where you tell God, now, where you want me to be is where I will be. If you want me down in the valleys in Congo where there's no internet and water, but that's where you want me, I will go. Now, this definition is not complete when the state of mind or emotion of that man is not reconciled because God, I want you to enter that marriage saying, I do want, but you wanted me to go. I love you enough. Let me go. That's not what he wants. You see, it's important for your emotion to be in the equation. 
Oh, Lord, I didn't want to serve you in Congo, but this is what you want and because you want and I love you. Oh, there are people who are actually willing to do it because they love him. They're willing to do it because they love him. And that's okay going to cry. You see, some people weep when they're bearing precious seed. Okay, there's still a reward to that because at least you're obedient. But then if you go deeper in this, that's the second um, definition in there, Aunag, to be happy about and to make merry of it in the Lord. Let me explain that. That he wants me to go in the forests of Congo and abandon everything that I have. And not only am I broken enough to go, but I am happy about it and I carry the joy of it. I'm happy about it and I carry the joy of it. You see, you just have been reading the word delight. Now it's deep because it goes to the core of questioning your heart. It's not only the readiness for you to adjust to his purpose, but to enter it with joy and receive it with gladness in your heart. When God turns the heart to that level, everything it desires is of him because it's already softened toward him. Everything it desires is of him. And because everything it desires is of him, he gives it. He plants the seed and he gives bread for it. You see when the Bible says, he that giveth seed to the sower and bread to the eater multiplies your fruit of righteousness. What does that mean? Because he is the one who planted that seed. It's his responsibility to grow it until it comes out of the ground, becomes a plant, bled, becomes fruit, bread for the eater. You understand what I'm saying? He will grow it to a point of seed form to fruitfulness. When you are in that state, you are already dead to many lusts. You're already dead to anything outside his will. And nothing in you desires outside him. Nothing in you desires outside him. Nothing. Nothing. You see what I'm saying? The man's desires are aligned to the will and purpose of God. That is where you get God's best. And for those of you who are mature, that is where you start separating what you thought you needed and what you really needed. And whenever God comes through to give you the true vision and perfect vision of your life, the one thing that astounds you is the loss of appetite of the things you thought you needed and they're substituted with the things you need. Do you know that some of you, you could not even be anywhere on a Sunday morning except in your bed at this time and waking up at midday to hit a Netflix movie all through and then go out drinking, that was your day. You even used to ask yourself, how does somebody get out of bed on a wonderful Sunday? Independence is here, you're in the presence of God. Because God has been turning your heart. It has made you work with the, you know, the discomforts, the, you know, you, you, some of you have packed in the wrong place, you're worried about your side mirror, but you're happy. You're happy. You see, because God has what? Has dealt with us. God has dealt with us. God has dealt with us. Now, like you're comfortable with that. Those are levels now. God continues taking you into deeper and 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 deeper levels. 
And as you continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, something starts to happen in your life. The world dies to you. The world dies to you. Like, you start feeling sorry for people. You can actually see a person do something and you're like, I know what you're seeking, but the end of it is vanity and vexation of spirit. You actually carry sorrow in what gives certain people joy. Then you're like, but what makes these people happy? You know? One day I was seated somewhere and I met this person who was vulgar. And this fellow is joking with, uh, you know, vulgar language. And people are laughing. My head is like, what's funny here? This guy is actually speaking profane language. You see, some of you, why you no longer can watch comedy? Because back in the day, comedians spoke to our hearts and we laughed from my heart. They needed to create the right image for us to laugh. But now, a guy has to firstly be vulgar. He must speak a very dirty word to make people laugh. And those are the guys that are filling stadiums in the United States. This boy can fill 50,000 people in a stadium, packed out. And then he spends two hours speaking vulgar language. And they're dying and they're going to pay. So that's how dead the world is. Are you following what I'm saying? This portion of scripture, Psalms 37, 4, is not for people who are lasting. Isaiah 58, verses 14. Again, the very word, I'll now come. It says, thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord. You see? You shall delight yourself in the Lord, Aunag, the very word used up in 37.4, Psalms. It says, and I will cause thee to ride up in the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Let me explain this. Now, when the Bible speaks of God causing thee to ride up in high places, that's the spirit of elevation. You cannot understand the power that comes with that statement until you learn to walk in the spirit. Because all of us can and will and may be able to walk in the spirit. But it's another thing to walk in the spirit with elevated graces. You see what I'm saying? It's like somebody's walking in the spirit, but they're here. But they're walking, they're moving, they're functional. And there's another guy, he's up here, but he's also walking in the spirit. You're all doing whatever you can do but one man has a 30-fold, one man has a 60-fold, and one man has a 100-fold in whatever he does with God. The fruit on his or her life is evidently moving at a speed that is not usual. You see? It's a spirit of elevation. Because these high places are not just the positions you receive in the physical realm. No, those are results. Those are aftermaths. Those come or follow that elevation that you carry by the Spirit true promotions of God. And when you understand this mystery, you will start to see God grow you in such an amazing way. That when you get to that point where you desire something in that realm, it's what he has already placed in your heart to do. It's what he has already placed in your heart to do because there is a law that governs the seed God has planted in your heart. That's why when the prophet assumes that it's in the heart of David to build a temple, he tells him, do as your heart tells you, because the Lord has given it to you. And indeed, he got all the elements of that temple. It was just one missing sequence. But when Solomon comes to build, his father had gotten all 
the instruments of that temple. Are you learning something? Now the second one, which I will not invest so much time on, it's kaufet. Kaufet means to pleasure in, to bend or incline. You see? To pleasure in. It's simply obedience. To find it easy to obey. That's the other definition. To be pleased with his will. And I believe this comes secondary. Because the primal one that I'm sharing first deals in your heart to really be pleased, not because God told you to be pleased, but because the holy emotion has been studying you through your consecrations to actually find the pleasure in it. Okay, this is secondary. Otherwise, you're going to be forcing yourself to be happy when you're not. And God only can do that in you. You understand what I'm saying? Only God can make you love a certain way, can make you serve a certain way. Only He can do that in you. You see, when you soften to Him. Now, this one is in Psalms 37, verses 23. If I can read the NIV, the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in Him. You see? Now, He makes firm. That's establishment. Okay? Not the original planting. Aunag. Aunag is a planting. The kaufet is an establishing. In the English language, it's also using the word delight. Are you following what I'm saying? So he says, the Lord makes firm the steps. So here, already, the first one helps you even make the steps. And the second one affirms them. You understand? Because you are pleased in it. You're inclined. You are agreeable. You are agreeable. But that agreeableness, like I said, comes secondary because there is that dealing of the breaking and softening of your heart and to be happy about it or be glad for it. Then you find that you are agreeable. But it's also delighting. So this is secondary. And another portion of scripture that uses Calvet is Psalms 112 verses 1 to 3. It says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth, Calvet, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Calvet. He inclines to greatly. He's pleased to. He reads the word excited. He reads and says, oh, hallelujah. But they're not faking it. It comes from a true experience. And that true experience began with a man whose heart died and yielded and softened enough to God. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. What's that? Fruitfulness. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house and his righteousness endureth forever. That man can't be broke. That man can't be broke. Because remember, why would he be wealthy? Because he's already even patterned to the principles of wealth. That kind of man cannot struggle to die. Didn't I then yesterday I did. I didn't give my first fruit. I forgot it. You know, first fruit, I may have not understood it. Have you not understood it or you just don't want to understand it? You know, there are people who say, I don't understand it. No, you just don't want to understand it. 
you're taking years. How? Like, is it supposed to come to you to understand it or are you supposed to seek out? Are you following what I'm saying? Now, this is what I know for sure. As a man of God, I have examined my place and I realized that the things that have disqualified me have always been around the places where I had it in my heart toward God, even when I knew what to do. It's like knowing that Scott annoyed me and I know that I have to forgive him, that I refuse to forgive him. And that thing of refusing to forgive him, yeah, I refused. He hurt me. Yeah. But it means God is saying that you are obedient only where it's convenient. But then with that anger that cannot forgive this man, you want me to make you a leader over 100,000 people. So if they make you mad, what will happen? If one Scott couldn't fix you, what if 100,000 people, and out of that 5,000, or you have 10,000 Scots, what are you going to do? You see what I'm saying? You see the heart of God? So you shift in your heart and say, even though I know that it's hard, but let me let go. Let me forgive the unforgivable. That's a man whose heart is softened. And, you know, the world never understands that. It literally makes you more and more. It cheapens you. Do you know some of us seem cheap because we are available to some people, for example? And the scarcer the man of God is, the more anointed he is. No. It takes so much softening of the heart to be available. Because it's actually the hardness of heart not to be available to men. Do you understand what I'm saying? It takes so much hardness because Jesus was not always on the mountain. I, I feel sorry for our present day guys who think they can seek God more than Jesus sought him. I'm smiling two months in the presence. Then the guy appears, but you look for the two months of experience and realize, you know, for the 30 days of that month, there was maybe two, three or four hours. The other ones were just a bored guy on the internet. You get, you can tell. You can tell, you see. So you will find yourself sometimes in life that you might be spited or taken for granted. But it's not because you are a poor or weak person. No, some of us know our ranks. We highly ranked. We are highly ranked, we know. We know, I know my rank. But for me to grow, I must decrease. You get my point? I must what? Decrease. For him to what? To increase. We ascend by descending. Aha, uh -huh, that's the language. We ascend by what? Descending. Like the more you break, the more God elevates you. You know what the Bible says? He exalts the humble, but he sees the proud from afar. The challenge is some of us are proud and we don't even know that we are. You see again, depravity. So how to even help this person? No, no, actually it's pride killing you. But I cannot explain it to you because maybe you think you're okay. You're not. How? Look at your life. Look at your life. You need God's best. You need God's best. So it is with life. God will continue softening you and softening your heart and softening your heart. And now that's delighting. That's delighting. And finding the joy to adjust to his will and purpose. So, how many of us have used this portion of scripture? Alasting. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight that you have planted in our lives. A lot has been shared. And every man and woman in this room, 
including myself, ask you for one thing. Break us. Break us. Help us soften toward your will and purpose. Help us be inclined and find pleasure in the things that concern you. Let us be happy about your instructions and carry a merry heart even when things don't agree with us. But only that can happen through your grace. And now that we carry the understanding of these words tonight, Lord, I believe that you're dealing with any form of lust, any form of indifference, anything that we have done that is not aligned to purpose and will. And I believe that today a man's heart has been consecrated deeper to receive seed. And that that seed will grow and produce fruit. And that fruit will echo through eternity. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed and believed. And all saints said, if you're sick in your body, I speak healing. If you're troubled in whatever your marriage, your career, your business, your dreams, I am praying right now that may the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead give life to whatever you're struggling with. Somebody's going to receive a miracle. I feel it in my spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If you're there and say, you know what? I want to receive Jesus today. That's the first step of softening your heart toward God. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your word. I have believed in my heart that you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.